0: This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today.
1: This is the Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast. I am PWI senior writer Al Castle. Joined uh, once again by two fellow senior writers, uh, my co-host Dan Murphy. How are you, Dan? I'm doing well out here, enjoying the rain in Buffalo, smoking a Matt Brock style cigar, and <laughs> just enjoying the evening. If I didn't know better, I might even think you are Matt Brock or Liz Hunter, depending on the the time, <laughs> <laughs> the deadline, whatever. All right, <laughs> we have to failed. edit that part out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, Harry Burkett uh, joining us back on the on the podcast. How are you, Harry?
0: fine and it's stormy here in maryland as well and but here on cigars. long
1: island as well yeah so uh we're all doing this uh, below gray skies uh, but lots to talk about uh, in the world of pro wrestling. One of the things that we wanted to do that we've talked about doing for a while now, uh, having the three of us, is actually just doing a little reminiscing, kind of a, a senior writers roundtable. All three of us um, are marking big anniversaries with PWI this year. So we're going to uh, spend a little time just talking about, you know, some of our memories working for the magazine, uh, as long as we all have our favorite stories uh, and and that kind of thing. Uh, No way we're finishing this podcast without talking about the new WWE champion, Jinder Mahal, so we'll definitely touch on that. And uh, later on, Dan, you've got an interview that we'll feature here with former PWI Rookie of the Year and now a star on Impact Wrestling, Moose. Uh, Moose. How did that go, Moose. Uh, Dan? Moose. It <laughs> <laughs> yeah, went I'm really well, <laughs> actually. Um,
2: yeah. He, uh, I met Moose a couple times, talked to him a few times very briefly, and he was always kind of short and to the point didn't say a lot and when i first got him on the phone i said hey uh, i understand you're in the car and driving on your way to the gym and he's like yep like oh man this is gonna be like pulling teeth but he he warmed up and uh he was actually very uh very charming actually so it was a a good interview and uh, i I think you'll enjoy it
1: yeah yeah and definitely a guy who you could look at on the impact roster and say uh big big things in his future uh so yeah a good get um, and also a good get, as I said, is the August issue of PWI. I've got in front of me uh, on the cover, it's WrestleMania Sorrow and Joy. Dan, a lot of your coverage of uh, the PWI uh, annual real winners and losers of WrestleMania, which uh, I always get a big kick out of, uh, a very kind of creative way of Uh, recapping the results of WrestleMania. Uh, Again, sometimes the the real winners and losers are not that apparent. Sometimes there's several winners. Sometimes a winner is a guy who's not even in a match, and uh, that goes for the losers uh, as well. So that is um, one of the fixtures of our post-WrestleMania issue. Uh, Also in here, I've got my... Uh, what do we call it this month? The uh, Hot Seat or Press Conference? It's the Hot Seat interview with Christopher Daniels, the Ring of Honor heavyweight champion. Uh, we talked um, a few weeks ago. We're going to feature some audio from the interview here, probably next podcast. Um, a really fun interview. We talked about uh, growing old gracefully in wrestling, and uh, right now he's 47. He had just turned 47 Um, when we conducted this interview, and kind of at the peak of his singles career uh, in Ring of Honor, a company that really he helped create, and he was in the main event of the very first Ring of Honor card uh, 17 years ago. We talked a bit about that. Uh, So that's a fun read. Uh, What else is in here? Uh, As I said, the PWI poll, and what else is in here? We've got a feature on the Hall of Fame. We've got uh, Harry, your uh, column. You're just telling us uh, before uh, we went, went on the air here a bit about uh, that. Why are you talking a bit about some of the subject matter in your column this month?
0: Well, it's uh, contemplating uh, The Undertaker's uh, apparent retirement and how really uh, the way a wrestler retires means so much to their legacy now and how now the tradition is to pass the torch and how a strategic loss at the end of a career means more than a win and I compare that to yesteryear, when, you know, so few wrestlers actually got retirement matches, had the opportunity, you had to be the best of the best, like a Bruno Sammartino or a Vern Gagne. And I was thinking about, you know, what if you went back into a time machine and Bruno Sammartino, his retirement match was coming up, and he decided to lose clean to Bob Ashland. Wouldn't that benefit the company more? <laughs> you know, that's too much forward thinking for back then. But then wrestlers back then had a different mentality, that Bruno Bruno probably thought, you know, Vince screwed him out of money. You know, he didn't know the company anything. So he was deserving of that last lap. And even his retirement match against George Steele wasn't at the end, because after that night, uh, I think the following week, he went on toward Japan. And uh, probably, I think the most – I don't mean to criticize these guys too much, because that was a different era – but probably the most self-serving retirement match was Vern Gagne uh, defeating Nick Pockwinkle and retaining the title, keeping the title. And that was his own company. You know, he he really did yeah. his own company no favors at all. So much uh,
1: for doing the honors. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right. yeah little Antonio Inoki <laughs> right there. <laughs> <laughs> right, right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely in the camp that uh, I'm not sold on that having been The Undertaker's last match, so uh, we'll see about that. Um, I, I Actually, uh, a feature I just put together for the next issue, which is what, the October issue, I guess, looked at uh, a Forbes magazine article that talked about um, uh, salaries, the, the highest paid salaries in WWE. And The Undertaker in 2016, who worked on one match in 2016, uh, according to Forbes, made about $2 million for that one match. I, I'm sorry, man. You're offering this guy seven figures, $2 million to work one match a year. I just can't imagine him uh, not doing that for as long as, as you know, the gravy train keeps on pulling up. So uh, we'll see. I'm not sold on that, having been The Undertaker's uh, swan song. Uh, I mean, I'm
0: not either. And In my column, I do make a point that I'm now very forgiving of wrestlers coming back.
1: Yeah, me too. You know,
0: back in the mid-'80s, that – I think a match can still be considered a retirement match, even if it's not the final match.
1: And in his defense and in WWE's defense, actually, nobody has said that that was The Undertaker's retirement uh, match. Uh, Certainly, it was portrayed that way, and that's the way everybody uh, took it, and and it was meant to be taken. But uh, if they do go back on it, you know, you can't really call them liars because they actually never said it was. So... Anyhow, read more on uh, Harry's thoughts on the Taker's retirement and everything else I mentioned in the latest issue of PWI, and you can pick it up at PWI-online.com. Uh, subscribe while you're there for deep savings to get half off the cover price, um, or just buy the one issue. You can also download it digitally or subscribe digitally, and uh, of course, the new version, uh, the new digital version of PWI, is uh, tailor-made for your mobile device um, through the PWI app which is uh, available through your uh, favorite app store. Uh, and while you've got your phone on your hand, uh, why don't you follow us on Twitter at official PWI? I had fun uh, live tweeting uh, Backlash. I'm already forgetting what the name of the show was this past Sunday night uh, and watching with all you guys. And uh, follow us on Facebook and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes uh, and everything else. We're in a digital age, so i got to remember all these things. Uh, Alright guys, uh, as I mentioned, Backlash, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about it, it is maybe the most unlikely world title win uh, in WWE history, certainly I can't think of one that was more unlikely, Ginger Mahal winning the WWE uh, World Championship, I call it the real championship, it's the one that has the lineage back to, to Bruno Martino Harry, who, who you just mentioned, Um, and you know, there's no two ways about it. This guy, uh, six weeks ago, two months ago was at the very, 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 very bottom of the WWE totem pole. I mean, I, I literally short of, uh, what's his name, (laughs) what's what's his name with the, with the no chin, yeah, that guy, I mean, maybe he was above him, but that's about it. Uh, and you know, he was brought in a little less than a year ago after, um, the return of the brand split, basically, I think most people understood it as an enhancement talent um, to to give some guys on the raw side somebody to uh, get clean, clean wins over. And, um, you know, in the course of a little over a month, uh, they just pushed him uh, to the moon and on Sunday night kind of sealed the deal, making him the world champion. Um, I've got some thoughts, but why don't I bounce it off of you guys first? Uh, Dan, what was your take on this?
2: Well, it was a surprise, obviously, like you said. It was it was kind of shocking. Um, but again, just to kind of harken back to what you said in the intro about the uh, WrestleMania winners and losers, in that section we talked about Jinder, Jinder Mahal being the real winner out of the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal yeah. um, because he was a guy who up until that moment, you know, he was, oh, Jinder Mahal was going to be one of the last guys. And he got the publicity from the little run-in with Gronkowski and And, you know, that did elevate him to a certain level and kind of put him on this path. Now, nobody could have predicted that at the time, and and we certainly didn't as we wrote the real winners and losers. But we did see that he came out of that match elevated to, you know, the highest point he had been since he'd come to WWE. Um, But after processing backlash and seeing some of everything that's happened over the past week, uh, what it really began to remind me of was JBL.
1: Yeah, and the when thing, yeah.
2: JBL became a world champion, uh, he was somebody who was a perennial mid-carder, higher on the card than Jinder had been. Uh, he was a tag team guy. He was never a guy that you would think would get a world title, uh, let alone the longest running SmackDown champion for, for some time. I don't know if that record still stands now. But
1: no, I think
2: um, uh, okay. I don't Punk know if Sami Punk, Punk
1: topped it yeah. With,
2: yeah after the title was uh, combined but, or unified, I should say. Uh, before it was split again, for whatever Mm -hmm. it's worth. But anyway, um, the point being, it's really impressive, and it's a good thing with SmackDown brand that WWE has been able to do. I'm not a big fan of the brand split to begin with, but it's a good way to... We always talk about trying to create new stars and create new talent. And here's an opportunity to give this guy a run as a heel and change things up a little bit. And he's proving to be entertaining. He's proving to be a surprise, just like JBL was. And I think that he might, in the long term... Have a lot more upside than JBL did. JBL was able to get in there and work with everyone from Eddie Guerrero to the Undertaker and put on really good, fun matches. Ginger Mahal might be able to do the same thing, and potentially long term, Ginger Mahal might follow in the certainly not to this degree, but the idea of The Rock coming in, having some success as a heel, <coughs> turning babyface, and then boom, all of a sudden, can you imagine if Ginger Mahal becomes a babyface? how big he can be for an emerging market like india um i mean it's it's really an incredible bold move by wwe and uh, i think that they uh that should be credited with taking the risk on this and jinder really worked hard for the opportunity so i'm kind of glad to see it happen even if it was a
1: surprise you never cease to uh amaze me dan that was the last thing i expected uh out of you uh uh, and, and you know what? I, I <laughs> largely agree. Um, but but yeah, I, I didn't expect to you uh, you to be as high of this uh, as you are.
2: I'm not the uh, biggest fan of his in, in the world, you know, in terms of what he can do in the ring, just like I wasn't with JBL. But it makes sense. And I think it's a bold and, and refreshing move. Uh, after years of having guys like Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles and smaller guys and John Cena on top, this is something different and it'll be interesting to see where it goes.
1: Yeah. Harry, how
0: about I, I you? Think you I, largely, yeah, I largely agree with Dan, especially comparing it uh, to the JPL metamorphosis, which I had real problems with at the time because I didn't really consider JPL to be in his prime. He seemed uh, just a little bit past it. And there was no explanation for the amazing transformation from somebody who you know was lucky to be a hardcore champion as a singles wrestler. Who all of a sudden he, he started dressing like J.R. Ewing and he's world champion. There was no explanation of how that occurred. But uh, Jinder Mahal, you could definitely explain that. You know, he left the company for a time. Uh, when he was a younger wrestler, you know, you're, you're expected to lose. He comes back. Uh, he looks like he's in a better shape than ever and tremendous enthusiasm and Physically, athletically, he is in his prime, and I think wins out of nowhere should happen in wrestling, you know, on any given night. And um, you it kind of reminds me of how years ago, WWE, you know, first they were grooming Tito Santana as El Matador, supposedly, at least they told Tito at the time, they wanted to groom him as world champion for Mexico. And they decide not to do that. They went with Bret Hart and Canada. So here we are, 25 years later, and Cinder uh, Mahal. He's from India, and I guess finally the world title has an international flair, and I think that's good.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, a little less high than than both of you guys are, and I'm really not down on it. I mean, I think it is one of those cases of of having to take a wait and see. Uh, approach uh, obviously yes JBL is the closest comparison I'll say a couple things um, both why gender in, in some ways uh, was was not as equipped as JBL was and in some ways more equipped the one thing obviously gender has over JBL is uh, youth he's just 30 years old by WE standards these days um, that really is young and uh, you're right he's in, he's in his prime right now or should just be entering his prime. Um obviously the physique is is really something. Um obviously there are some some red flags, some telltale signs. I'll leave it at that. Um but all the 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 other side of that is was JBL was uh he was not the enhancement talent that uh Jinder Mahal was. He was uh one half of a pretty successful tag team he had uh even in in his acolyte days apa days showed uh uh some charisma some uh kind of credibility legitimacy uh in the ring uh yes it was a surprise when they went all the way with him uh but it was less of a surprise uh, than this i mean this was a, a much more of a rise and it's not just an issue of uh where jinder mahal was on the cards to where he is now but but i think there's an issue of ability and uh, Jinder's just not there yet. I mean, he, he on, on the mic, in the ring, uh, he's come along. He's, uh, I think, made vast improvements. I'd imagine that he'd be in the shortlist for most improved wrestler of the year in, in the PWI uh, awards. Uh, but clearly he's got a ways to go. So um, I uh, agree. I, I'm glad to see WWE kind of freshen things up. Uh, in, in the end of the day, the WWE Championship is a, a promotional tool, a marketing tool. Usually it is used—you uh, you take a guy who is the most over or one of the most over uh, wrestlers in the company and you put the title on him. Uh, but another way to use it, and it has been used in this way in the past, is you use the title to get a guy over. Um, usually, though, a guy is more over than this guy is in putting uh, the title on him. Uh, So while I don't mind it, you know, you mentioned the the India expansion and that's got, I imagine, everything to do with this. So you really can't judge it in the way that you judge typical world title, uh, uh, victory decisions, that kind of thing. This was obviously a business move motivated by something completely different, which is not necessarily a a bad thing. I mean, they've got a a company to run and and they're going to make the decisions that they feel profit the company the most. All that said, even understanding those motivations um i think they could have taken their time with this a little bit more i I don't know what the rush was um you know bring him along a little bit i wouldn't i mean it was just such a 180 from where he was to winning that that battle royal to be number one contender you know going on this tear and winning the world title uh at the very least i would i'd like to hear some kind of explanation i mean him say something to what changed you know what why is he so much better now than he was before? because short of telling that story, all the conversations are the conversations that we're having. How did a jobber win the world title? The story should be how he progressed from being that jobber to being a top contender? you know what was the motivation? what did he change in his his approach to matches, his training regimen, you know, do you attach him to some kind of manager who is like his guiding light and just changes things up for him? Uh, Because short of that, it's just, you know, I don't know. Everybody's just kind of scratching their heads and it becomes this kind of punchline. Jinder Mahal is the world champion. um, And it's newsworthy for all the wrong reasons. It's newsworthy because nobody would have taken him seriously as a world champion. And I don't know if that's what you want the headlines to be, you know? But that's, that's why I think it's a no-lose scenario,
2: because if he doesn't perform, they can put the belt back on Randy Orton next week. And it's not going to make a difference. Randy Orton gets closer to 16 world titles and leads to another inevitable clash with John Cena at some point down the road or whatever. It, it, there's other guys you can go to, but this is an opportunity to try your hand and see if you can raise somebody up to that level. And that's why I think that I'm expecting, I'm kind of bracing for a very long Jinder Mahal title reign.
3: Really? I mean, unless
2: it goes very badly, I think we could, until the Royal Rumble, I would say, Um, I would expect through the end of the year Jinder Mahal will hold the title. Again, things can change on a moment's notice, but I think that given the the pomp and circumstance that they had, the pageantry when he came out with the title this week, and and his, his entourage and everything else that he has going for him, I think they're committed to this at least for the short term, and I think it'll help him and and the company, you know, in the long term. So, and again, there are plenty of, if it bombs and and ratings drop and nobody comes out to see Ginger Mahal, they put the title on somebody else and just look at this as, okay, it didn't work out, maybe we'll do something else down the road. But I I think it was a good move.
1: Yeah, I I think they kind of have to leave it on him for a while, right? I mean, it's sort of the only way... Uh, And maybe there's another comparison with with JBL. You sort of need that long title reign to establish that this guy wasn't a fluke, Um, especially if the plan is even after he drops the title, that he stays in that top mix and uh, uh, becomes a credible threat, a main event player and a guy who could draw in India and draw fans. Um, you, you need him to have that title for a while, again, to sort of cement his place as, as belonging there uh, at the top. And
2: this is, one, this is an old story that I'm sure Harry would probably remember. I don't know if you'd remember now, but it just popped in my head with you saying that. I think Dave Rosenbaum wrote it back in 88, and it was okay. about Demolition. Demolition had just won the, the tag title, and the, the headline was Demolition Fluke Champions or Champions to Stay, because at the time they were seen as the World Warrior ripoffs yeah. and everything else. And Rosenbaum, if I believe it was Dave who wrote it, the idea was, well, why can't they be both? Because a fluke champion can be a champion who now if they've got the belt, they've got something to fight for and they want to prove themselves. And then Demolition went on to have the longest reign in WWE tag team title history up to that point. And I think that, I don't know if we'll go quite that long, but a fluke champion can still be a champion with staying power, you know, if the, the stars align.
1: Yeah, and, and, uh, and I think, I think Jinder's yeah. going to be uh, put in a position where he's got to get better, and I bet he will get better. I mean, he's going to—one of the, uh, the upsides of being world champion is you're going to work with the best guys in the company. You're going to be put in, in the longest matches, and, uh, you know, you're going to get a heck of an education. Dave probably wrote that story in about 20 minutes, by the way. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> really? I think either way, um, you could make the argument. and maybe more from Al's point of view that this title change would have never happened prior to the brand extension. It seems to me when you have two world titles going, they are more likely to, you know, in your phrase, use the championship to make the wrestler. They're Mm -hmm. willing to take that gamble. Whereas when it's one unified champion, it really does seem like it is a more stable person who's recognized as someone who's at least in the top three wrestlers in the company.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, that's another part of the story, I guess, is th- this doesn't do much to change the perception of, of SmackDown being the B brand. On one side, you've got uh, Brock Lesnar, one of the biggest stars in wrestling, who just took the title from Goldberg, another one of the biggest stars in, in wrestling history. And Lesnar is, is such a big deal that he's never even around to defend the title. And on this side, you've got you know Jinder Mahal, who... Uh, just a couple months was doing jobs on on raw so uh but yeah i mean totally giving the benefit of the doubt totally interested to to see this play out and i absolutely got a big kick out of the um the the, the celebration on tuesday night at smackdown i thought it was well done and yeah i'm curious to see where it goes from here um you know and and yeah i and i for one certainly excited about a new main event star and one that we really weren't counting on so uh yeah it, it it mixes things up and that's not the the worst thing in the world um you mentioned dave rosenbaum uh looking back at uh, uh pwi history and and why don't we look back a little bit at our own pwi history as i mentioned earlier we, we're all celebrating big anniversaries uh this year for for me it is um the least big i'm the junior of the senior riders. Uh, I make 10 years uh, in, in 2007, pretty much with this issue. I, I mentioned it in my uh, quick count column. Um, I came on board right around this time, springtime of 2007. Uh, Dan, what what do you make, 20 years? Yeah, 20
2: years, a little over. Uh, back then, I remember the first story I filed, and I, I know I've talked about it here on the podcast, but uh, it was introducing Prince Iakea, Yeah. And I remember at the time, we were talking a little bit about, well, there's a... Uh, Second generation kid over in WCW, a second generation kid in the WWF. They both have, uh, you know, Polynesian ancestry. Uh, We'll go with uh, Ikea as opposed to spotlighting this young kid by the name of Rocky Maivia, (laughs) which, you know, in retrospect was probably not the best decision. But uh, yeah, introducing Prince Ikea was my first one. And uh, I remember back then we had to write the story and uh, I believe I had to fax it. Um, Really? Wow. It was before email, so I faxed it in and it sat for, I don't know, three, four months before it came out. Really? Wow. I don't know if the, yeah, I don't know if the anniversary was uh, when I wrote it or when it ran or whatever the, the, it was, but yeah. uh, So somebody had to transcribe it? Uh, Yeah. I just assume so. I don't know if they had a scanner in the office where they were able to, you know, go for a rich text format or whatever that is, but yeah, yeah, I had to type it all up and uh, on a word processor and find a fax machine at Pinko's and send it in and, to wait four months for my first national byline.
1: <laughs> Harry, how about you? Are, are you also making 20 years this year or, or a little longer than that?
0: Yeah, uh, 20 years as of uh, this past January. Okay. And, what was and, your first uh, story, Harry? Well, technically, the first thing I ever had published was a correspondence report. And I became a semi-regular contributor to that uh, when I was 15 years old. So that's kind of when I started. Back in 1986. And um, my parents would never buy uh, wrestling tickets for me. Um, So when WWF would come to my area, the deal was, if I could win the tickets on the radio, (laughs) I would then get the day off to go get the tickets, and I could go to the wrestling show.
3: You have to
1: rely on winning tickets?
0: Winning tickets. And luckily, (laughs) we had a local sports show that hardly anybody called into. So if you ever wanted to call that show, the lines were wide open. <laughs> and um, they, they were giving away, giving away wrestling tickets, and they were asking, like, baseball questions. And I thought, well, that's not right. <laughs> I complained to my best friend, and he told his older sister. The older sister calls in and says, you know, it's not fair if you're giving away wrestling tickets. You should be asking wrestling questions. And, of course, the sports guy was one of these snide sports guys who looked down on wrestling. And he says, well, if I give out the restaurant coupons, should, should I ask food questions? You know. <laughs> but eventually, the question he asked was, name the three Funk Brothers. <laughs> and and I hated it because I'm a traditionalist. I hated to call that station and say what he was expecting. Right. Hoth, Terry... And Jimmy Jack. That's right. But that's what sealed the deal for that first pair of tickets. And that became my way for the next two years of getting to the show. And so I submitted those to the 80s and some like guest editorial, I think, in Wrestling 88. But um, in 1997, or 96 actually, um, I was trying to get some freelance work. And I saw a magazine on the newsstand called Remember, which was a pop nostalgia magazine. It was sort of like uh, the stories were, you know, an interview with uh, Audrey Meadows of the Honeymooners or the latest on a bewitched reunion, things like that. And Capital Publishing, I noticed, had just purchased this magazine that I called every month. And there they were, Stu Sachs, Bill Lafter, uh, Craig Peters, all these names I recognized. I didn't realize at the time these guys were into everything, not just wrestling, boxing, hockey. They were into... Uh, Pop nostalgia, they were into uh, country music. You know, Dan will remember uh, Fly magazine, probably. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yes. And um, I applied to do that because my impression at that time was that staffers, in-office staffers, did all the stories, which was true when they were on Long Island. But when they went to Pennsylvania, they transitioned to using more freelancers. And you know, as it turns out, freelancers have a little more longevity. They hang around 10 or 20 years. And uh, so I submitted story ideas to Stu. And I'll never forget that first time Stu called me. He said, is it Harry? And this is somebody I've read, you know, for 15 years. And he was one of the reasons I got into writing and journalism, him and Craig Peters. And um, he said, well, submit some story ideas to make sure we're on the same wavelength. And he picked one of my stories, which was called, uh, I forget the exact title, but it was about gang violence and wrestling. Because this was in 1997 when there were so many factions at W.O., Nation of Domination. Everybody was in a faction. And I was talking the about reclam- how that's, mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> they're breaking down into gang violence. And uh, that story was a success. And um, I would say... Within a month, I visited the office, and by that summer, I was um, working there part time. Where I talked my uh, employer at the time, as a actually a healthcare magazine, uh, to give me uh, a thirty-hour week, working Monday through Wednesday. And most weeks, I worked in Ambler on Thursdays and Fridays, and they actually paid for my motel on Thursday nights. And wow. that was because it was such a huge business then. This is just before the internet really yeah, was strong. And they literally could not produce enough magazines. Now, by wrestling <coughs> alone, they were doing 60 magazines a year. That's more than one yeah. a week, and that's just wrestling. And so I worked there, and then for a while, maybe three or four months, I worked there full-time but it got to the point it seemed like the work was bottlenecking and we were just sitting there work wasn't coming in I said to Stu because I was a little bit of homesick why don't I just go home and work for you pretty much full time and that's how it came about so here I am 20 years later
1: <laughs> what do you remember the, uh, the staff being back then how big was the, the PWI uh, full time staff
0: well it's, it's funny um, my first run in the office was in 1997 to 1998. And then I returned uh, 10 years later, worked there in 2006 to 2008. So there was a 10-year interim.
1: I think I met you then. Uh, In in one of my early trips to to Ambler, I guess, for one of the PWI 500 meetings. It might have been uh, 07 or 08. Yeah, I remember you being there.
0: Probably 07. And um, I was, of course, I got your first uh, feature story about the Dudleys.
1: That's right, yeah. yeah.
0: I remember the first line was very memorable, something about the Dudleys dripping in gold because they'd won all these tag team championships. I remember Stu really loved the article.
1: Yeah, that was my first story, and yeah, my, my experience is a lot like yours. I uh, I had a full-time job, same job I have now, working as a, a journalist, and uh, I think was working late one night, and I think I just kind of, out of the blue, decided to send him an email and... and uh, uh, asked if if they could use a freelancer, and it turns out that uh, Stu used to work at the same place uh, that I was working, and had a history there. And you know, me being a Long Islander and and him being a Long Islander and PWI uh, having been based on Long Island, um, the same thing. I get the get the call minutes later, I think, from Stu Sachs, and I was like, wow, I'm talking to Stu Sachs on the phone. And uh, yeah, it's all yeah. nepotism, <laughs>
2: all you long islanders with your Illuminati, it <laughs> didn't hurt. And everything. Yeah. You
1: guys had it easy, and uh, same thing, asked for some story ideas. I wish I could remember them, I they couldn't have been all that good because he didn't take any of them. And uh, what I got was this assignment on uh, the Dudleys, and I what I remember about that is um. I guess not giving a lot of not not paying a lot of mind to deadlines and which is ironic because I'm you know that's what I do for a living um and being driving around somewhere and I think getting a call from Stu when is that story coming and I think he needed it like that day or maybe the next day and I don't think I had even started on it yet And so uh, I really hustled to turn it around that day or or by the next day and sent it over. And I guess he liked it well enough. Yeah. And what I remember about that was that uh, some weeks or months later, I had to interview uh, Baba for for something else. I think TNA was in Webster Hall. Um, This would have been, I guess, early 2008. And he remembered that story. And I wanted a copy of it. So I remember very excitedly, like, running off a bunch of copies of it and going to Webster Hall and, like, looking for a security guy and telling him, you know, I'm from Pro Wrestling Illustrated. Can you get this to the back to, to Bubba? He asked for it and I handed off a yellow envelope to him. And who knows if it ever got in, in Bubba's hands or not. But, uh, yeah, that was 10 years ago. And, um, yeah, time flies uh uh you know it, it's a little bittersweet i think how have things have changed and it's the reality of the print publishing business uh, you know certainly what you describe as uh sort of the heyday in in the the wrestling boon in the 90s uh harry uh has not been the case and in, in the last several years and um you know i've seen the magazine contract some and and the staff contract some and um, it's kind of too bad, but I'm glad we're still able to, you know, we're expanding in other ways. This podcast now going strong, you know, we're trying to, um, you know, evolve, uh, the, the PWI app, as I mentioned, and I understand there's, there's some other improvements coming to, uh, PWI dash online, uh, dot com. One of the things, uh, I miss doing that I somewhat blame on technology and maybe I also blame a little bit on my own laziness, uh, but those, Annual get togethers for the 500, which we've, uh, because of technology, we've kind of moved to doing them digitally. And, and uh, Dan will set up a, a go to meeting every year and and we'll all get together. And that's good in that it, I think it's allowed uh, more sort of seats at the table uh, because we're able to involve more people. And also, it saves a lot of people a real, you know, hellacious trip. I'm just coming from Long Island to, um, to ambler which is about two hours but dan you'd be coming from buffalo right which was yeah it's
2: about seven and a half hours and, yeah insane uh, yeah. yeah so I, a lot of times i would leave it you know say two in the morning so i could roll in at around 9 30 10 o'clock maybe grab a donut there and, yeah uh, kind of hit the ground running and you know whatever but you know it, and those are good tr- i mean they're great times i mean just just going and Harry, I'm sure you you had the same experience too in the office. Just going
1: through the photo archives. Yeah, yeah. Kind of I hate. remember. Yeah, I'd show up and Dana would have the legs up on the table and passing around photos, and we'd be giggling at some of them. And yeah, and, and what people would write in them. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah,
0: and that was the highlight. That was the highlight for me. That did not expect. I hadn't factored it in because when I went there as editor for those two years, um, the photo archives. That was the big plus. To yeah. being there in the office and like I would do the Legends Q and A interviews back then and to be able to select all the photos that you wanted to run with your story and write the captions to be part of the complete process. That that's why I thought it was worthwhile to to work in the office at least for a while.
1: Yeah, it was yeah. such a thrill. Yeah that that library, um the, the archives, uh yeah that, just just my career in wrestling fandom, that's got to be a, a highlight and uh, Stu showing me around and showing me some of the old photos. Uh It's really something and is uh, so valuable uh, just in, in the sport in general. I mean, I think it's a large reason why PWI has established the relationship that it has with WWE. It should talk about yeah. anything that
0: happened before 1985. Yeah. You know, they... Really rely before the advent of the WWE magazine, they really rely on us.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, as far as some some stories, you, you you both mentioned your first. What's your favorite of, of everything you've done over the last uh, twenty years, both of you?
0: Harry, if you got to go. You jump in first. Go for it, man. Oh, okay. Well, um, one thing I really enjoyed uh, back in the heyday was um, writing the entirety of uh, special issues. You know, it's one thing for, you know, perhaps Stu or, you know, Dave Lanker in the old days call you and give you a story. But for him to say, oh, by the way, we need uh, the wrestling annual done by uh, by uh, December 15th. Mm-hmm. And, you're, and you're given the responsibility of producing, you know, a 180-page magazine, basically. Yep. You know, and back the photos, the posters, and things. But that sort of thing. And one thing I really enjoyed writing was The Wrestling Analyst. Um, that was a great every,
1: magazine, yeah.
0: Yeah, it was, it was a different take. You know, Like at first I thought it was kind of a dry take on wrestling, but it turned out to be successful. And it was our very first, um, at least bi-monthly, uh, full-color magazine. And, I mean, we, those were the gravy days. When you can put out a 40-page magazine, And it still sells like crazy. (laughs) That's incredible. And uh, (laughs) maybe along that same vein was we did a special issue on the top 20, or sorry, top 100 wrestlers of the 20th century. And I interviewed Bruno Sammartino for that, and Frank Fruta interviewed Vern Gagne. It involved me going down to Virginia Beach and spending the day with Lucet, and we had to talk to him. Because he was the only person who was alive who knew these people going back to 1900. And, like, even if you want, want to get into, uh, oh my gosh, who was the guy? Not uh, Frank God George Hackenschmidt. Who was the guy? Farmer. I don't want to say Farmer Jazz. What was his last name?
2: No, Farmer down. Burns? Or you think there's Farmer Burns? There was uh, Jim Londos in that era? I think um, it's
0: Farmer Burns, where Lou. Didn't see him in the ring, but he knew him as a trainer in the 1930s. So for Lou to have that connection to know people going back from 1900 all the way to the year 2000, he was literally the only person I could talk to. And I went there literally with a list of 100 people. And of course, you know, he became a little more jaded that, you know, as we got, you know, the current day, you know, Hulk Hogan Mm -hmm. can't wrestle through a wet paper bag that sort of thing um, or La Rocca, he's a he, he's an acrobat street performer yeah stuff yeah <laughs> but what, what would you think about ricochet and will osprey do you think? <laughs> oh my god oh my goodness i i can only imagine what what does jim ross say? jim ross had a quote about lou says if lou had his way everybody'd still be wrestling in wool tights <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah 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 uh, Dan, have you given any thought? Did something pop out uh, as far as uh, your favorite or one of your favorite or, or just most memorable stories that you've done?
2: You know, I grew up reading the magazine a lot, you know, when I was 8, 9, 10 years old, sitting in the supermarket as my mom was shopping, and I'd sit there just reading the storylines, or the magazines, which were mostly storyline-based. And a lot of them, especially, you know, in the 70s and 80s, they were just so hokey and corny, but they were amazing. It, it was just very kayfabe, very whatever, and What was kind of interesting, when I started in 96, 97, um, we were getting away from that. But there was still some kayfabe era going on, especially in the WWF. And even in WCW, where they were doing the Dungeon of Doom and everything going on. Um, But you were moving away with ECW and shoot interviews and things coming out. And PWI had to kind of walk that line of, okay, we've got this one foot in the traditional kind of kayfabe storyline presented uh, presentation and one in the the reality uh, that's coming out more and more and how do you how do you satisfy both of those how do you write something that's relevant to somebody who you know wants to read about storylines a 10 year old kid at the supermarket and somebody who's got a subscription to the observer and listens to podcasts and you know h- how do you do that and navigate it i think that the ones that i had that, that i enjoyed the most number one when i just went full kayfabe and did that kind of old fashioned story. Those were fun um, because that's what hooked me on wrestling magazines as a kid. But when I was able to do things like um, uh, doing shoot interviews uh, for the magazine with like Jim Cornette, uh, talking to Ken Patera, who I didn't think would be a fascinating interview, but was, he was just an amazing guy to talk to. And, and through the years, um, in fact, we were, one of the times when I was at the, in the magazine at the office, uh, we were sitting at the table. Uh, Brandy was still there, and I think Harry might have been there. Dave Lanker was there. And I had just worked with Jeff Blatnick, um, who was involved with Special Olympics New York. He was an Olympic gold medalist. And um, I had worked with him. He was doing some PR stuff in my day job at the time. I was doing PR. I had his number and email address. And uh, we were pitching stories around. And Kurt Angle was talking about possibly coming out of retirement for the <laughs> 2000 Olympics, maybe. Mm-hmm. And – um I said, Hey, what about, you know, I just threw it out as an idea like, what if we had an article by Jeff Blatnick as told to Dan Murphy assessing Kurt Angle's chances in the Olympics. And they all kind of looked at me, they're like, can you get like an Olympic gold medalist on the phone to talk about Kurt Angle? Like, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 did like, and it just kind of banged out that story. And, uh, which was fun because it was very real. It was very journalistic, um, uh, but it still was a, a wrestling story. And, and I remember another time being in the office, going through the 500 I had to take an hour break from the 500 ranking meeting uh, to go to another room to do an interview with Jesse Ventura and uh, I mean that's just fantastic when and now especially I, I've been very involved with the Cauliflower Alley Club and I've gone seven eight years now and now being able to just kind of sit down with guys like Pat Patterson and Jerry Briscoe and Jim Ross and over a beer or with some of those guys nine or ten beers at times and just listen to their stories um i mean i never would have had the opportunity to get that kind of exposure without pwi yeah Uh, so it's not just the stories i've written but it's it's the people i've met from like the pattersons and briscoes all the way down to the guys on the indie level and in the women especially being involved with female 50 many of whom i think we're going to be seeing in this upcoming women's tournament and they're going to be the next big faces of wwe and you know i've known many of them for you know several years
0: it's just a it's incredible really
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with you.
0: Yeah, I have to say that um, my favorite Dan Murphy stories, they tend to be his columns, especially the ones where he interacts with uh, different wrestlers. And there's several I have in mind, but my very favorite was your uh, back and forth, your meeting with the sinister minister. And you were trying to kill him, and he set your notes afire.
2: I
1: remember that, yeah.
2: Which is legit, and I bumped into him at WrestleMania weekend, and we were catching up a little bit. And uh, he says, "Hey, I know that you guys are doing a little bit, and this is why I was thinking of like the old kayfabe type stories and everything else." He's like, "You got a story to pitch? How about this?" He's like, "Sinister Minister. He's got a voodoo doll, and that's why Dixie Carter is no longer in TNA He goes, because <laughs> I hated her." And I and he goes, "I want you to do like an old-fashioned '70s style article, and that you know, I put a hex on her and whatever." And I'm like, "You know." I'd really like to do that, but uh, I don't know if we can make it work in 2017.
0: Yeah, oh, wait a I... minute. I, I can't believe we're going down the Sinister Minister uh, rabbit <laughs> hole here. There's a <laughs> big history between Sinister Minister and PWI because um, if you look at back issues going back to the late 1970s. For, for little like Jimmy, Jimmy Mitchell? Fox, <laughs> little Jimmy Mitchell, the wonderful world of pen pals. That's where young people could send in their their little picture, their, high, their middle school picture, and little bio, and you could connect with other wrestling fans throughout the country. And there he was, James Mitchell, in Wonderful World of pen pals going wow. that far back and being a wrestling fan.
1: Wow, wow. Uh, yeah, you, you know, Harry, you mentioned uh, your, your first time being published in PWI. I guess mine was... 1991 or 2. And I don't know. I might have told the story uh, on the podcast. Uh, I don't think I told it. Uh, I don't know. Well, I don't think it was PWI. It was one of the sister magazines. It might have been wrestling superstars. It was whatever used to do the, the dream matches, uh, which was also... Superstars, just an, yeah. Yeah, it was just an awesome old feature. And they did one that was like um, a a tournament of, of legends or something like that. Uh, and... One of the brackets was um, The Ultimate Warrior and George Hackenschmidt, who you also just uh, mentioned. Of of all combinations, uh, how strange. And, uh, gosh, what happened? I think they never published the result of that match. Uh, They just skipped it. And uh, I think I wrote a letter to PWI pointing out that they never published it. And so uh, I think they published that. And then they published the result, and George Hackenschmidt went over on The Ultimate Warrior. And I was just outraged. I mean, how in the world uh, could George Hackenschmidt withstand the uh, the Gorilla Press Slam and, and the shoulder block and the big splash? And I wrote that, uh, just a, a very angry letter, and they ran that too. So I think that was my first time being published. Uh, but Dan, you, you hit on something. You know, that... Uh, transition from kind of just straight kayfabe, those really fun uh stories that that really the magazine made its name on, to what we are now, which is uh kind of riding that line. You know, it's funny on Twitter the other day when I was um, live tweeting uh, backlash. Somebody referred uh to me and to PWI as a dirt sheet. And me as a dirt sheet writer and PWI as a dirt dirt sheet, and I was like, what us? I mean, it it it's the last thing I would think. Uh, PWI uh, uh, being thought of, uh, but you know the truth is, I guess we you know we are kind of riding that line uh, these days, and and stuff like this. This podcast is a testament to that, you know, um, and and it is sometimes a, a hard line to balance. You know, I I just did um, uh, that story about the highest paid wrestlers in wrestling for uh, the October issue, and something that came up in that story uh was uh, and i had exchanged with Stu, but was a reminder of how much things have changed i, I won't go into it uh but yeah i think my <clears throat> 10 years in in pwi uh have come kind of during that transition period um and honestly i mean i look back over 10 years and i don't remember doing that many of those straight kayfabe stories and and maybe it just because I come from, you know, a journalism background. I wasn't assigned that many, and I was assigned more of um, kind of the analytical stuff. And uh, I really enjoyed doing those over the years. I mean, as much as I've done some of the the straight, you know, fun kayfabe stuff and enjoyed it, I've liked, um, you know, the the deeper dives into stuff. And a couple of them that I've done uh, that really stand out, uh, one was... um, looking back, uh how was this? It was a Ric Flair retrospective and I think it was uh I guess it was coming up to his retirement, so this would have been two thousand eight, I suppose. Um, where I had to uh write a synopsis of was it every year of his career or every title reign? Whatever it was, it required a whole lot of research into to Ric Flair. Um, I'm pretty sure it was year by year, and a lot of the stuff I never knew about or just had forgotten. And some of it wasn't even that old. It was like that that later nineties or early two thousands WCW stuff. That WCW had, forgettable stuff. Yeah, <laughs> and I was like, I have no memory of this at all. Uh, yeah, but it was a, a lot of fun, you know, uh digging that deep into. Um, you know, from, from the 70s right into the 2000s and and tracking his career. Another one that I really enjoyed that um, I'm super proud of because of how history ended up turning out was in 2000 and uh, this would have been 14. Uh, I was assigned uh, a, a big feature about um, The Undertaker's streak. And it was looking at every opponent that he wrestled at WrestleMania and kind of analyzing um you know what made each match different what did he learn from each of the, uh, the wins um how close did each guy get to ending the streak um that kind of thing and it was fun because everyone built on the other one so from wrestling i forgot who it was you know uh, uh mark henry or something you know it it was about don't take anybody lightly that kind of thing and there was another one that was uh avoid you know anything other than singles matches when he ended up wrestling and nathan jones and big show uh, in a handicap match uh at at wrestlemania 19 um and again everyone built on the other one you get to the point where he even realizes that there is a streak uh and and that there was something more on the line uh, and that was a lot of fun. And, and the reason that, that I'm particularly proud of that was that the streak ended that year. So it really is kind of a complete telling uh, of the streak because there was no 22-0. and 0. So I got through all 21 years um, before it, it ended. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Now,
0: you know, one thing, I, uh, and Dan's probably heard this before, I do have to interject that <laughs> PWI is the first place that recognized there was a streak.
1: Is that right? Sure. Yeah.
0: Here we go back to uh, nineteen ninety nine. Stu assigned me uh, another one of these special issues to write, which was um, it was every match that had happened in the history of WrestleMania. Uh, so at that point that was I was WrestleMania too, yeah. fourteen in nineteen ninety eight. And just as a sidebar, just thinking of ways to fill pages, um Dave Slanker mentioned well, or I think it was just a Stu's idea, but you know he really liked statistics, stato charts, and numbers and that sort of thing. Anytime you can cross-reference, Stu loved it. So anyway, Stu says, "Why don't you compile the win-loss records of the wrestlers who've been at WrestleMania?" And I went into it with the assumption that Hulk Hogan was going to be number one, because you think 1998 Hogan was still the king of WrestleMania. Uh, Shawn Michaels had wrestled more matches, but he'd lost five of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and to my surprise, when I compiled the list, The Undertaker was 6-0. and oh, And I put him at number one. And I remember telling Dave Lanker on the phone at the time, because we used to talk every day, I said that... Uh, you may be surprised to go Hulk Hogan. I'm not listing him number one as the all-time WrestleMania wrestler. He's got to be number two because he's got a mixed record. He's got the double DQ with Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 4. But here's The Undertaker, sort of under the radar. Here he is at 6-0. and And we started calling attention to that. I know we did a cover, like a WrestleMania tip sheet a few years later, um, where we – Brought attention to it. So I'll take credit
2: for that. And and the residual. (laughs) No, and it's true because I have heard that from some people in WWE that it it wasn't until the magazine came out that people began to say, hey, wait, did you realize this? And yeah, Yeah. and then it became a thing.
1: Kind of an accidental streak. Yeah, yeah. But it's been a lot of fun. Again, if if there's one thing that that uh, I I regret is that we don't all see each other enough uh, these days. And again, it's just a product of I think, you know, technology both bringing people together, but also in some ways keeping people apart because it's, it's so we you know Dan, you and I talk all the time now um, for this podcast, but I haven't seen you, in I don't know how long uh, since it's one no of long these PWR no, meetings. It's, it's-
2: if there's one thing I regret, it's the fact that we haven't gotten a raise since 1997.
1: <laughs> there's that so... <laughs> too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, if not the PWI 500, we'd get together for um, the uh, the Super 8. And uh, we've done that a little more recently. And then I think some of the guys uh, still do, the guys who are closer to um, the Philly area still get together for that. But uh, yeah, and I think, I, I think most of it is uh, feeling bad for you, Dan, <laughs> asking you to, to make that trip. But. Uh, maybe if, if one day you find yourself in the area, we'll we'll plan something for, for all of us to get together, uh, another reunion of sorts. Hey, man, I'm touring
2: the country for uh, Sisterhood <laughs> of the Squared Circle. So, you know, from Orlando to Vegas the to book hopefully Waterloo, Iowa, to Chicago. So I, I think Philly's a, a good stop, especially if I can take a WSU show when I'm out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I'm in Philly not that infrequently. And actually um, – Last time I was in Philly, I sent uh, Stu a message telling him, Hey, I'm in your neck of the woods. And sure enough, that day, he's on Long Island. So go (laughs) Philly. (laughs) Visiting uh, Stony Brook. Um, Thank you guys so much. This was a lot of fun. Uh, Always fun looking back. And um, here's to another 10 years, another 20 years.
0: Sounds good. All right, hopefully.
1: Absolutely, (laughs) yeah. And uh, for now, let's listen to uh, Dan's interview with Impact Wrestling Superstar, Moose. 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 Okay, Moose,
4: thank you very much for joining us for the PWI podcast. Um, You said you're in your car. You're on your way out to the uh, the gym right now? Yeah. Yeah, what do you got lined up today? You working legs, working arms? What's the, the typical Moose workout?
3: Typical one's workout today. I'm doing
4: a, quite a bit of cardio and maybe a back workout afterwards. But nice. majority cardio. Nice. Hey, um, and, and we were just talking a little bit before uh, I started recording here. Uh, yeah, the last time I talked to you on the phone, uh, if you remember, um, it was uh, when I called you up to let you know you won the Rookie of the Year award for PWI back in 2015. And uh, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah, it, I remember after I called, I spoke to you briefly, and I don't know if you just woke up. Or whatever, but I think yeah. Me...
3: I just woke up, and then later on that day, I called you back, and I was like, I don't know if I was dreaming, but somebody called me from this number saying that I won Rookie of the Year award. And he was like, yeah, sure. I was like, oh man, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, when you called me, you called me early. I, I always think it was. Early. I just think I had a real late night. But I was still kind of dull when I spoke to you earlier that
4: day. That's it. Yeah, yeah. So once it kind of dawned on you and you realized that you did get, you know, Rookie of the Year in the National Magazine, you know, an award that like Kurt Angle and, and you know, so many people have won, uh, Steve Austin have won it in the past and others, uh, what did it kind of feel like once you, you came to realize that?
3: Oh, man, it was a great show. Just to be to be mentioned in the same sentence with some of the guys you just mentioned on and win the same award that I won early in their career. I mean that's just that's a, that's a, um, a big pleasure, man. I mean guys like Ric Flair and Austin and Angle, I mean the list goes on, you
4: know. Yeah, okay. Now, you came into TNA, at a, into Impact, really, at kind of a turbulent time with the change in management and everything. Um, right now, you know, it looks like everything is, is kind of settled down a little bit over, you know, the past several months. And I was just wondering, how does it feel at this stage, kind of with, with the new ownership group in place and everything kind of stabilized a little bit? Are you feeling like there's uh, really a big opportunity for you to, to kind of grow and, and develop? Or how do things uh, feel now? As opposed to how they may have felt, you know, earlier this year
3: or last year. I think things are, with the new regime up in, in Impact Wrestling, things are great. I mean, you um, know, when I first got there, when I got there, I mean, the morale was off because everybody knows the issue with with guys getting paid on time, and um, that wasn't so good. But um, we, since the new regime stepped in, we haven't had an issue with that. Um, the Locker is great. Um, Jeff definitely knows where he's going. I mean, he's the one who created TNA back in the day, and um, he did a great job of it. And he made a, a national name and a worldwide name. So our job and his job is to get TNA down to be back to where it was before he left. You know, and I think we're in the right. We're in the right step.
4: Okay. Now, when you first came in, and some of those issues were happening, and not to belabor that point, but you had just come from Ring of Honor, and um, yeah. you know, were you beginning to think, oh, maybe this was a mistake, or, or what were your your first thoughts of, of, from going from Ring of Honor to to Impact with everything that was going on behind the scenes?
3: Uh, I mean, I didn't want to leave Ring of Honor, but uh, I had some goals set out for me when I decided to become a wrestler. I had some goals that I had set out for me um, when I was a regular hunter and just the way it was looking, I didn't feel like I was going to accomplish those goals at the time I wanted to accomplish them. So the best thing for me to do is to go somewhere where I felt like I could. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that was the same thing. I mean, a goal of mine has always been a goal of mine to to be a world champion or to be a champion in general, and at the way at the way it was going with Ring of Honor, I, it didn't seem like that was gonna happen at the time that I wanted it to happen. It was one of those things where I had to wait a little bit longer, you know. Yeah, and no. I definitely felt like I was a. I felt like I'm a. i am feel like I'm a champion. I mean, I I am a champion, and at that point, I felt like I was a champion. So.
4: Okay. Now, Lex Luger was another guy who, who came from a football background, obviously, as you did. And he kind of famously, as is, is a newcomer, had what he called the five-year plan. And it was that, you know, within five years, I want to be a world champion. Uh, did you kind of come into something with that? I mean, you know, you're, you're, you've already got the pro football career behind you. You're coming in a little bit older than some of the other guys who are just kind of breaking in when they're 17, 18 or whatever. Did you have kind of a, a set time frame for success? Or what were you uh, really thinking at that time?
3: No, I didn't have a set time for success, but uh, I kind of I, I, I mean, I, I didn't want to rush it, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's something you never want to do. You never want to to rush for act for a push and rush it when you're not ready. Right. So once I went to Rainbow, I knew I was going to have to, start, and that was the one thing I said in the first ever promo that I did, um, Best in the Word in 2014. I want to start from the bottom and I want to make my all the way to the top. Where the issue is when I felt like I was ready the company didn't feel like I was ready yet. And that's a conversation me and um, a good buddy of mine, Hunter um, Delirious, right. um, Jonathan, um, he, he's a g- real good friend of mine living the death. And one of the conversations we had before I left was he didn't feel like I was ready. Like he felt like I was going to be ready, like maybe in a year or so. But at that point, he didn't think I was ready and I thought I was ready. So it was just one of those things that you better yourself, you know, yeah, And that's why that's the biggest reason why I went to Impact Wrestling. I mean, I love Hunter to death. I mean, he's one of my real good friends. I love him as a boss. I love him as a person. Uh, but we just, had, just for that conversation about me being ready, we just had, we just saw it differently. I needed one more year. I thought I was ready right then and there. So.
4: Yeah, and your, your style is so much different from a lot of the guys that Ring of Honor's had on the past for a long time. You know, other than, say, Samojo and, and Takeshi Moshi, you know, those are kind of the powerful guys. Uh, everyone else has been kind of smaller and more technical. And, and while you, I've seen you, you know, ex- do some technical wrestling and incredible agility, you, you still are a, a big, powerful man in a, a company without a lot of guys who are, you know, super heavyweights. So, yeah, I, I can definitely see that there's uh, a more potential growth for you in, in somewhere like Impact. Um, with that being said, being that you played professional football, uh, what was it like moving again from Ring of Honor to TNT? Was that at all like changing teams in the NFL, you know, having played for uh, the different teams that you have played for? Uh, w- was it similar, like going from the Patriots to the Rams or the Colts or anything, changing promotions, or is it a completely different type of experience? Um,
3: like wrestling and football is two completely different things, you know. Yeah. Um, I think I think one thing that did help me to get into wrestling was the discipline I had from the football world. Um, discipline, I mean, was definitely was definitely key. One of the key things that helped me out with my transition. Uh, with football, your discipline, you have to wake up at a certain time, you have to eat certain foods, you have to train certain certain ways, and. Um, that mindset from that mindset from the football world definitely kept me disciplined in the wrestling world because I knew how to work hard and I knew how to to strive for what I wanted you know
4: Okay, and with a a team sport though wrestling is a very individual thing did you feel a a difference instead of having conditioners and trainers and doctors there at all times kind of giving you meal plans and whatever take that ownership on yourself was that a, a transition or did you already have that Kind of work rate, uh, you know, kind of instilled in you from uh, from football.
3: I mean, I- I- had that instilled in me from from football. Like I knew, then that's part of the discipline. Like I had that instilled with in me. I knew um, what I needed to do in you know, the wrestling world to to be one of, to be a good wrestler to be one of the wrestlers in the world. I knew what I had to do, and I think the discipline for football, even though football is a team a team activity, I, I, the discipline for football definitely helped me carry over the wrestling.
4: And I'm sure you asked this a lot, but I don't know the answer, so I'll kind of ask it again. What made you decide um, wrestling? You know, when your football days were done, what made you decide to kind of go into this field? Uh, w- were you a fan as a kid, or has this always been in the back of your mind, or was it just an opportunity that kind of popped up?
3: Oh, yeah. In as, as a kid, I, this is something I always wanted to do since I was 10 so. But it just the way I, I wanted to be a wrestler since I was 10. It just, you know, so, together. So I had to I mean, I got drafted from the NFL that's something you never planned. Media drafted from the NFL to the Atlanta Falcons wasn't what I planned for, just happened to hit the you know, after college. I didn't even know I was gonna get drafted until my senior year towards the end of my senior year when the season was over when you get an agent and your agent told you, Oh man, you could be drafted and I was like, Oh man, <laughs> It wasn't something that I planned for.
4: Always be able to a guys. if you were um, looking to play, you know, looking to wrestle since you were a kid, um, did you talk to your teammates at any point? Like, did they think that you were crazy? that this is weird, or was this something that they were like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea? Once you know you're done with football.
3: You know, wrestling is one of those things that if you talk to someone about it that's not a wrestling fan, they look at you like you're crazy. Right, right. Yeah, so I mean yeah, I got that I mean all my friends that wasn't wrestling fans, once I told them I wanted to be a wrestler, they would look at me like, dude, you're nuts <laughs> while you we wanna be a wrestler. I mean, it, it is what it is I mean, that just motivates me more once, once you get those people telling you that you're crazy and why do you want to be a wrestler and wrestling is fake. It just makes me want to do it more. It's kind of like once your parents tell you you can't touch that cookie from the cookie jar, that just makes you want to touch the cookie from the cookie jar even more, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
4: Now, just a couple more questions for you. I know you got your workout ahead of you. Um, how would you describe the, the kind of physical toll that wrestling takes compared to football? I mean, obviously football is is full impact and and wrestling is very different, but the way you're landing, the way you're hitting the ground, everything, it's completely, well, it seems very different. Maybe it's it's more similar than I'm realizing, but how do the two affect your body over a long period of time in your experience?
3: I mean, I'm sure, I don't know because I, <laughs> I guess I'll find out when I retire how bad all this, all this stuff affects my body. Well, I mean, right now, I'm, I'm lucky I'm very healthy. Uh, I don't have um, a lot of bumps and bruises on me. Um, so, I think, thanks to God, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty healthy. So But to answer your question, I guess I'll find out how bad wrestling is for me when I turn 40 or 50. Yeah,
4: still, still a ways off. So, you're good on that.
3: Yeah, still, still a ways off
4: pretty healthy. All right. So then my last question really is uh, you know, you're a two-time uh, Impact Grand Champion. Um, and you've had some great rivalries since since moving over from Ring of Honor. Uh, Cody Bennett or Cody Rhodes, Mike Bennett, Drew Galloway and others. Uh, you you mentioned having goals. Uh, what are some of your immediate and long-term goals in Impact now? I mean, you've already had some of that title success. Obviously, the world title is something that that's still out there for you. Uh, what else are you kind of looking to do over the next few months and maybe the next year or two?
3: You said it. You hit it on the dime. I mean, I want to be, I want to win the world, the Impact World Championship. I mean, I've already, um... One goal with winning a title with the grand championship. And you know, honestly, I believe I'm with my schedule and all the travel I'm doing, I'm kind of making a grand championship or world title because I'm taking it all over the world and defending it all over the world, you know. Um, like just my schedule coming up in the next month is ridiculous. I go from India to, to Manchester to Dublin to Germany you know so I'm I'm going all over the place with my title with the grand grand championship but I do know that at some point this year I want to compete for the world title and I mean we'll see what happens I mean hopefully the company sees me as a guy that could put the world title and make it a relevant title because I I know I, I can make it relevant So we'll see.
4: Fantastic. All right. Man, Moose, thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Get your workout in, and uh, good luck to you. All right. Thank you, buddy. All right. Take care.